Hey, Max or Mac Maximilian? <laughs> Max is totally fine. So what was your first computer? So my first computer was um, uh, Fujitsu Siemens uh, Scalewa, I think, back then. Mm -hmm. It was called, I think it was in 2004. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was Pentium 4 processor, one gigabyte of RAM. And yeah, I think I got that for Christmas back then. I remember the uh, yeah. Siemens Fujitsu line. Uh, I forgot about Escalera. Okay, what is yeah. your first action with the computer? Um, I think I used it mostly for playing uh, video games. So I think Age of Empires 2, I think, was one of the first ones. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of yeah messaging back then with my friends, like ICQ, Amazon Messenger, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, very early on, I did like uh, computer games. and But then I have to admit that the computer world quickly lost me a bit to the console world. So I was heavily doing um, Xbox back then during my teenager days. <laughs> okay. And what games did you prefer back then? Um, the, I, I played mostly Halo uh, back then, Halo, mm -hmm. Halo 2, mm -hmm. uh, Gears of War a bit later. And then I almost played, like I would say, semi-professionally uh, Call of Duty 4 uh, back then. So it was still very early days, right? There was no things such as uh, Twitch or anything where you did like a lot of streaming <laughs> or something back then. So um, yeah, we played like a couple of tournaments and those kind of things. So yeah, Call of Duty 4, Halo... That were basically that was my area back then. What means semi-professionally? Uh, so semi-professionally, I would say so. Um, so there was no like big kind of, as I said, like streaming income or anything like mm -hmm. that. But we were actually we got um, a few sponsors uh, back then. It was not like that I could live from it, obviously. But uh, we had like a team. We were um, in different kind of leagues back then, mm -hmm. active. We were like recording videos of that. We were going to tournaments. Um, th those kind of things. Okay, and <clears throat> I have no idea how, how it works. So uh, <laughs> leagues means there are like official leagues, so you can... Yeah, that was like an online league, so to say, right? Where you had like different kind of types, like four on four or two versus two or one okay. on ones, for example. And then you earned points when you played different teams and then you played that online. And then when it was like a German, I think, console league, it was called back then. Okay. And um, some international kind of leagues. And there we played against other teams and then you earned points and you climbed up the ladder. And was the league uh, part of the game or was it an external portal? Where it was had... an external portal, super okay. manual process. You had to upload even screenshots of the results ah, okay. uh, of the game. Uh, so it was, as I said, it was like 2006, 2007, something like that. What I remember, I think I already uh, um, told it on, on, on the podcast. Back then, I remember everyone wanted to play a game. It was from the company called Cryo, Cryotech. I forgot the name mm -hmm. of the game. It was the one, uh, really, it was like shooting game, mm -hmm. but it was a, a really high fidelity graphics. And uh, it was uh, everyone, um, I think it was 2008, 9, 10, mm -hmm. or, or 6, something like this. Yeah. Cryo, you Cryo. remember that? No, I don't, actually. So I, that was um, the publisher, or was that the name the, of the Cryotech game? is the company, yeah. and the name of the game, uh, wait a sec, I have to research quickly, Cryotech game. Crytek was not Cryotech. Crytek was the company, mm -hmm. and they made the Cry Engine. It seems like and Crisis. I think it was Crisis. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure if I uh, if I recall it. No, I'm so Crisis was like you were a soldier or warrior or something, and you had you know to shoot a lot to accomplish the task. You had to go in one direction and, and solve problems. Crytek was the thing, and Crisis. And regardless, and I I had no interest in in gaming back then, but everyone you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, told me I have to try it out and then I would change my mind. So, okay, so I installed the crisis on my machine. And uh, the cool story is I look at this and I say, okay, I would like to win. And what I did, it was like the, the most peaceful, I think, game of all times. I just ran in one direction without shooting. <laughs> and after, I think, one hours, one hour I was done, I just only remember I had to shoot at the, at the end because it was like a very huge, you know, something which I had to kill. But, um, but uh, and everyone was surprised. Uh, no, this was like on Friday and on Monday went back. It's like, okay, I'm, uh, I am done with the game. And they <laughs> so, say, how it's possible? It's like, yeah, I just you know, I accomplished all the missions. And they say, okay, this is, you never play them? No, it's just, I just did it, right? And, uh, so you and play the you shooter could, without shooting? Actually. Yeah, it was just okay. running. So for me, yeah. it was like a marathon. <laughs> and, and if someone wanted to shoot at me, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I quickly ran, I had to swim and it was possible. Sometimes I was killed, so I did it again, but mm -hmm. it was the fastest way to win the game. <laughs> and they say, okay, you completely missed the points. Like, why? I won and you didn't, right? So, uh, and then I said, okay, I deinstalled the game. But uh, what I remember back then, the graphics were amazing. The Crytek. Yes. So it was like, I think it was 2006 even. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and uh, it was amazing. And uh, I look at YouTube uh, recently and it still looks nice. So you have to, to, to take a look at the, uh, how, how, what I said, Crisis from Crytek. Exactly. Okay, yeah, I, I need to take a look. But with the graphics, it's mostly, I think back then everything also looked amazing. And sometimes if I go back and I, I take a look at the old games like GTA, like Vice City or something or something like that, it looks like, I mean, obviously standards have, chang uh, have mm -hmm. changed a lot, right? So mm -hmm. things that looked pretty awesome back then um, now look, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting after a couple See, of years. See, I also played semi-professionally, you know, the game because I was in two two days, I won everything and I was better than <laughs> all my colleagues back then in a project who play all the time and couldn't, you know, solve the problems there in the game. Yeah, definitely. So maybe I could, you know, mm -hmm. the next time support you in your in your league. with. Uh, your... Yes, I mean, I quit gaming a couple of years back, but okay. yeah, if I will do a revival, yeah, we can be a team. <laughs> um, what happened that you started you know to do something different than gaming with the computer um yeah i remember it quite well so there was a friend of mine and he just he did like some very small like html pages actually back then and he okay. just changed like a comment and i think there was a tag called marquee or something where you can animate like a headline or something that yes. is like goes like up yes. and down or something marquee like, is it still works yeah. if you go to a chrome and you add marquee tag it just yeah. works with the attributes it's amazing blink doesn't work anymore but oh, nice. marquee was the thing yeah but it's I think it's deprecated, right? At least it's marked as deprecated right now. In the, in it is deprecated, but still worked. So this was okay. my gag, you know, yeah. at the conferences sometimes. Like you don't need CSS, you can just use my key <laughs> and everyone, yeah. Exactly. And he showed me this and I was kind of amazed that you just have this text file and then you see something visually working actually, right? So I started um, um, doing like very small like HTML stuff, so nothing really fancy. And I in the school we had like a, it was like the ninth year, so to say, and um, there was like a, um, a focus area that you could pick which was um, IT then mm -hmm. back then and there we did also but just very simple like um, web pages and I think uh, very easy programs back then and with um, so yeah and I was quite um, attached to it and um, then I was 15 and I decided to actually quit school and start an apprenticeship 
as an um, application developer back then. So in Germany, it's like Anwendungsentwicklung. Okay. There's like an apprenticeship that goes like three to four years where you go to a company and you learn like uh, programming and you go to a school where you have like the theoretical part. Is it in Germany, in German, Berufsschule? Uh, yeah, exactly. Berufsschule. Okay. So it's like a Lehrberuf, right? Or Ausbildung. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, uh, yeah, so that's the, the apprenticeship kind of concept. And there I started doing my very first developments in, uh, it was back then with Delphi, so Object Pascal. So uh, that was my, essentially my starting point. So you like that? Uh, back then it was amazing because I used a lot of the, the VCL, right, the Visual mm -hmm. Component Library. So like I dragged a button and it was just there, and I double clicked, then I could execute, uh, have some code, and then I have an exit that I could ship to to the to the customer. So for me that was really a good entry point to start uh, programming uh, back then. Mm -hmm. I started with two. Um Actually, basic, but then two of Pascal, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to learn Delphi, but then I never managed mm -hmm. to do this. But uh, I think Delphi is still amazing because I know lots of developers who still believe in Delphi, so this is why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think this this first like busy big kind of editor things that really yeah was a was a good enterprise where I created like a rich um, Windows application uh, back then and um, did also a lot of report. There was is also a thing called Report Builder mm -hmm. where you can um, build like nice visual reports where you can do some statistics and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of SQL queries for and yeah retrieving data for um, the property management companies that was back then. Berufsschule is more like profession school, if you directly translate yeah. it. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what what you learned there? You learned Delphi still and the entire time, or yes? So actually, I did like for the in the apprenticeship, I did basically Delphi Object Pascal um, only. And I was, I have to admit, back then it was very um, early stage. So I was fifteen at that time. And I, I did, it was very procedural, right? So I did like the on the in the button click handler, I put like all the code and stuff. Sure. So I was really trying out uh, new stuff. But that was the it for the first three to to uh, four years. Um, and then what happens afterwards? Um, I decided to 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 leave the company because sometimes I have the feeling. If you are an apprentice or um, in a company, you will always be the apprentice, no matter what. Yep. Um, so I decided to to leave that, and I went to another company that was called Waldhard Software back then, which was like a, um, a, it's a small company providing software for ski schools all over the world. Because I'm I, I was uh, based back then in, and I'm now I'm still again um, in Austria. So obviously the ski market is um, very very popular here so i developed there also then in in the in the first years in delphi we developed like a, a, a ski school software for a lot of companies in dach area and also international oh and and where were you based in austria salzburg Linz, or <coughs> no Vienna? so right now i'm based in innsbruck and that ah. was also very close to innsbruck back then it was in near telfs pfaffenhofen it's like a smaller town hey nice yeah exactly and yeah there i did also um, Delphi for a couple of years and then we started also creating like web shops around it and <clears throat> there I then also started my first kind of Java uh, development efforts. Um, Why Java and not PHP or Cold Fusion back then or whatever it was? 
Um, I think it worked nicely because of the, the yeah the 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 API development back then. So it was very early stage for me, also still in in uh, Java development. And the company all um, got a few new uh, lead developers who decided to use that stack. I think a majority also was still developed in Python, but some smaller modules and APIs then were um, developed um, in in Java. But my real, let's say, Java career, I would say, started then after also this company, um, where I really started doing a lot of Spring application uh, development uh, back then. And in another company, a freelancer, or what was the? It was another company. It's in. A, it's called. It was called Catalyst back then. Mm -hmm. It's now called Cloudflight. I'm not sure if you've um, mm -hmm. heard of it. They were. Ba they have the headquarters in uh, Linz uh, mm -hmm. back then. And yeah, there we did a lot of, it's, I would call it like a software fabric. So we did a lot of development for other companies. So it mm -hmm. was like project based. Mm -hmm. So we had like always like a, a two, three month kind of project where you de develop like a certain, a different kind mm -hmm. of use case and was very, uh, very heavily using Spring mm -hmm. um, um, back then. And there started my uh, kind of API development. And do you like Java? Uh, yes, I like from the beginning. From the, from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. There was like a, a moment in time where I, I told you when I started with this procedural kind of thing with Delphi and putting things in the on-click handler. And remember when I went to a there was like a Delphi code camp at some point, and there was a guy doing a presentation around clean code, mm -hmm. and it clicked somehow <laughs> for me. And I ordered like the book also uh, clean code, and I really dove into it. And I said, okay, this now changed my whole perception on how I develop software. And then I think most of the examples were in um, Java also. So I tried it out and I started like to do to adopting like design patterns, trying some different things. And then for me, Java fit like a very great and natural uh, fit uh, mm -hmm. back then. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, um, so you are no more in, uh, at uh, Cloudflight uh, or Catalyst. <laughs> So what yeah. happens after Catalyst? Yeah, so um, I actually moved to Berlin back then because my mm -hmm. wife uh, got a job at the um, Austrian um, embassy there and I decided to move with her. And then I realized quickly that in Berlin, it's a very great market for software developers, software <laughs> engineers back then. And I um, started at a company um, called Ada Health. They're doing like a symptom checking app um, it's mm -hmm. like quite popular in the in the app store back then and i did like java backend development um, with a small team um, but yeah after a year um, i i i moved to zalando then uh, zalando actually. yes exactly and um there i was also a backend engineer then java team lead so i did a lot of um, api development still same stack most of the time still spring and um, yeah, first kind of touch points then also with um, cloud and AWS. And I was actually quite, quite happy at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, uh, yeah. as, as a developer at mm -hmm. Zalando, Zalando, you were happy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which mm -hmm. time frame we are talking about? Uh, so in Innsbruck, if you left Innsbruck was 2010, 12? Oh, no, no, no. So I think, so I um, left Innsbruck in 2018 or 19, I think. Oh, okay. So a couple of years ago. And um, then I moved to Berlin, yeah, I think, yeah, 2019. And um, there I've been three years. And now I actually recently moved back to Innsbruck. 
Um, what do you like? Uh, what do you prefer uh, better, Berlin or uh, Innsbruck? <laughs> That's a tough question. It's like two very different kind of things. Obviously, I really like Berlin, and I really like going back there. But I really like uh, the the life in the mountains, to be honest. So it's yeah. really because I'm also like traveling a lot, also to like conferences nowadays, and it's really a different feeling coming back to the mountains, going hiking, have like um, really silent yeah. um, around you, then going back in this big big city. Um, of Berlin but obviously from a cultural perspective I really enjoyed like they're going to like theaters and stuff like that right so this this is kind of what I miss but yeah Innsbruck is really great from the surroundings and I have two very small kids and all the grandmas and stuff are here so it's really great for them to grow up here in this yeah. kind of area. Yeah. What I like in Berlin is not Berlin itself rather than you know <laughs> the uh, the area outside of Berlin Oh. This is what I really prefer. There are lots of lakes. So if you there are woods, mm -hmm. lakes, so it's amazing. Berlin, okay, is just a big city. And yeah. what I like in Innsbruck is a really crazy city because uh, you are in the city and you look at the mountains and, you know, in yes. the... How is how it's called? You know, ski ski jumping. You know, device. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. <laughs> and and <laughs> this is like, if you look, this is it, it, it looks incredible. And yes. uh, the city is not, not too big, but it's no, really no. nice. And, yeah. and Innsbruck is completely different than other Austrian city, I would even say, right? It so, is, yeah. yeah. So the cool thing is, right, we have a very big university here. So oh. um, um, so a lot of people also from Germany come here and therefore we also have a lot of like different restaurants, right? So people are doing also a lot of cultural mm -hmm. events here. We have also a theater. So it's a very good um, actually place to be in Innsbruck. So it's probably also my favorite place in in Austria. I mean, Vienna is also amazing. But Salzburg if I is also nice. Salzburg. Salzburg is also is, is also nice yeah Linz but actually really as well so it is uh, Vienna is different so Linz also you know the outer area of Linz is great Salzburg yeah, itself I... is perfect yeah mm -hmm. Vienna no, the same so... exactly uh, this is hard to tell because because Vienna you could go you know yeah. and the and the uh, Danube and the and the river is also nice so um yeah. true yeah. yeah what I like at Innsbruck is you're very uh, fast in Italy you're very fast in Munich and mm -hmm. you're very fast also in Switzerland Munich is, so it's is like true yeah Yeah, like one and a half hours, right? Sometimes I go to our Munich office um, right now and um, there it just takes me one and a half hours by mm -hmm. train. So it's very easy. About Innsbruck, I spent some time in a project and uh, the, uh, the there is a team which um, uh, works for the uh, Tyrolean government, I think. And they created, you know, uh, with Java, uh, the entire uh, maintenance and the entire portal for the government. Mm. And what I like uh, the most, uh, this is a small motivated team uh, which is uh, which works for the government and they're incredibly productive. This is the interesting mm, part. Nice. And they are fun and, and they are also in Innsbruck. <laughs> so this is why I know Innsbruck a bit. Cool. And, uh, yeah, and uh, okay. So um, nice. what happened then? So you, uh, you, you quit Zalando or what happened? Yeah, so as I said, I was actually quite happy at Zalando and I thought I will probably stay there also for the next uh, couple of years. But then, um, yeah, AWS uh, knocked at the door and... <laughs> basically um, asked if I would be keen on doing it and uh, to become a solution architect, actually. But uh, uh, how, how, it, how they, they knew you or how it happened, you know, how they... Uh, they, they reached out to me on LinkedIn. I think it was some okay. kind of okay. um, yeah, a recruiter that reached out to me. So we had like a, a phone call. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are multiple steps, right, in the, in the hiring process um, at AWS. And so, yeah, I prepared quite a lot for that. And it seemed like a very appealing... Uh, company for me though so I decided to give it a try and yeah then eventually I ended up there being a solution architect so then I basically switched a bit from being a full-time like software engineer a bit to the solution architecture 
uh, role, which was also a step in my career that I that I wanted to do. Is the hiring process hard? Uh, I compared to to what I've experienced before, I would say yes. So I prepared really like a couple of days or even weeks for like a single, a single stage, for example, like system design, those uh, kind of things. So I really took a lot of um, effort. Like effort. algorithms or what you learned? Or? Um, yeah, a system design, also mostly like scaling um, architectures ah, mm-hmm. and um, um, and things like monoliths to microservice transformation, right? Pros and cons, those kind of things, oh, okay. and the different kind of databases um, when you when you pick what. So it was more like in the system design, okay, uh, architecture almost, right? So yeah. enterprise architecture. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and, and what you did in AWS? I mean, what what means solution architect? So I'm, I always know there are so many solution architects. Somewhere <laughs> there should be problem architects as well. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> otherwise it uh, it wouldn't work. So. <laughs> yeah, so um, as a solution architect, essentially, so I'm focused on um, SaaS companies right now, for example, in the in the DAF area. So I'm helping them on their uh, cloud journey, right? That sounds a bit broad now in the beginning. So but what that means is I do a lot of architectural reviews. So there is, you can imagine there is a company saying, hey, we want to build a system for X. How can we do that? This is our proposal. And then I look at the proposal, for example, and I say, okay, you can optimize this, you can optimize that. I think for this kind of use case, it would be better um, if you build it like this. I also do like um, a small POC sometimes, right? I create a lot of reference repositories then to show an actual example implementation. And I'm also specializing quite a lot on serverless right Mm -hmm. now. Um, so and I'm leveraging there the skills that I got from the field back then, my Java knowledge, and I combined that now a lot with serverless. So that's why I also created, or I'm the creator of the AWS uh, Java on AWS Lambda workshop um, that I um, developed with a couple of colleagues. And there I now also go on conferences and um, run those workshops and show how you can get the best f- um, out of Java in the in the serverless world. Mm-hmm. So, and I also write blogs about it. So, yeah, so it's like a, a variety of, of um, topics that I, that I deal with. This I didn't even knew. So, um, mm-hmm. and um, was it like uh, your idea to do this or you were asked by AWS, you know, we do more Java now or what was the... No, so it was an idea from me and my uh, colleagues. So I was, when I did this specialization on serverless, I had like a mentor, Christian Müller, um, who was really uh, also engaged in the Java space. And he said, oh, we don't really have any um, content on how effectively using um, Java basically in the serverless world and show all the optimizations that we know. I said, okay, let's create this workshop. And then we started developing it. We started with a first module that shows you how to migrate the traditional Spring Boot application to AWS Lambda. What are the caveats and the things that you need to care about? There are a lot of things that you that you um, need to think about. And um, then we developed it. We did like a first um, a run at the Java conference in um, Barcelona last year. And we had it also at DevOps Belgium then in um I think October it was, and at reInvent. And we really saw, we got great feedback also from um, um, the customers and the participants that this was exactly what they were looking for. So yeah, we came up, we saw like there's a missing piece of content that we need to that we need to uh, fill and that there's guidance needed. A lot of people want to use Java on serverless. So that's why we came up with this idea. Exactly. This is, um, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not using uh, Spring Boot at all in my projects, mm-hmm. but um, I'm using more Quarkus and from the Java space. And mm-hmm. uh, what's really happened uh, last week again. So what I showed that you can actually you now take the old code 
and package this as with Quarkus mm-hmm. and run it as uh, AWS Lambda. And uh, the great benefit is if you do, if you can if you do it publicly with public IP address is very simple because you can have API gateway in some cases the load balancer. Exactly. And uh, and you don't have to care about IP addresses, security groups, and nothing. And uh, this changed, for instance, the direction of the project. If they saw this, they say, okay, we mm-hmm. didn't knew this. And uh, why there is no documentation? And I say, mm-hmm. I have no idea, but this is what I'm doing for years. So this is why I ask you. Mm-hmm. And uh, even better in Java, I do full stack Java. So uh, I'm uh, using CDK uh, with yeah. uh, with Java. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, in a project, I have, uh, you know, this um, CDK as infrastructure as code yeah. and the business code in one Maven project. Well, actually, yes. two Maven mo- projects and developers know Maven, right? So mm-hmm. and, and uh, if you have that, what you can do, you can create reusable um Infrastructure as code patterns, so you can create yes. a construct, you know, with your Lambda and API gateway and Snapstart and everything. Shown, uh, everything is uh, already prepared. Then create a jar and submit it, for instance, to your Maven uh, Nexus repository or in a current project in S3. Mm-hmm. And then you can check it out and reuse it, or uh, in S3, you know, download it and run it in a CI/CD, uh, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, a code build pipeline, and you have your environment. And this is frictionless. And uh, fast, and uh, it works really, really good. So I was really also uh, I asked myself why there is no content on AWS. My, I mean, there are clients and customers waiting for it, mm-hmm. and it's completely ignored. So okay, I don't know. I show it a little bit, and uh, since then I have lots of projects who are asking me, you know, do this fast. So um, <laughs> it's actually a great story. Yeah, I mean, it's also great, uh, great feedback, right? To to um, receive, and yeah, we exactly saw we saw this kind of gap. And since then, uh, we tried to create a more and more Java content, especially for um, serverless. There are a few blog posts that I have published also. And I think Mark Sales, you also had at the, mm-hmm. at the podcast, he also is doing um, um, a lot in the, in the Java space to really get that content out and provide Java samples. And yeah, definitely CDK. I also really um, love uh, using. So I also used that for um, a couple of modules from the workshop. And yeah, I, I, I really um, like it a lot. Yeah. And uh, but you're also using uh, these uh, um, uh, serverless. Uh, how is it called? Sam. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I wanted to say Saml because uh, I was like Saml. <laughs> no, Sam. A serverless application model. Yeah. Uh, what mm-hmm. are the benefits using uh, Sam with Java um, uh, comparing with CDK? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So sometimes I like the declarative style um, approach for very simple mm-hmm. um, kind of projects. So I have like a YAML file, I just throw it in there, right? And then and then, and it, it's there. So and um, this is so for quite a simple projects. I use that, and there's also a nice integration with. It. So the Sam comes in two parts, right? One is the um, template kind of stuff that you put the infrastructure as code and there's also SAM CLI mm-hmm. where you can do um, like um, local invoke of a Lambda function for example where you can um, do um, SAM sync for example and retrieve logs from the CloudWatch logs to your console so it's quite convenient instead of going to CloudWatch I can just do do SAM logs and retrieve the the, um, the logs directly from the CloudWatch for that function so mm-hmm. I use that quite a lot in combination you can also use CDK in combination with SAM CLI. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that because it's usually attached to a cloud formation stack and CDK does nothing else uh, than also then leverage um, cloud formation at some point, right? So they are actually compatible, so to say. So um, yeah, I would say it depends on your project requirements, what you're more familiar with. Some people like to have like a declarative um, approach for their infrastructure. They are used to it. They're maybe even... Um, 
yeah, teams or like more the operator kind of folks, right? That really like this YAML style of things. And, but yeah, since a lot of people are um, like, we have this kind of mindset that you write it and you, you build it, you run it, right? And you also provide your infrastructure code. If I'm a Java developer and I write everything in Java, it's also great to write my infrastructure in Java, Yeah. Um, obviously. <clears throat> so yeah, I would say as always, as every question in software, it, it depends. But yeah, I, as a rule of thumb, for um, yeah, more um, simpler projects where I don't really have this requirement of reusing things a lot, I use um, um, SAM. And um, for other projects, for bigger projects, I use CDK. Yeah, that's exactly. But the project gets you know quickly bigger. If you need some certificates, DNS, or uh, uh, then uh, you know then that's that's true. Uh, maybe in my environment because I provide a lot of samples also, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like a maybe more like a simple kind mm -hmm. of structure. But if I have like a bigger project that I would develop, then uh, probably yeah, CDK would be the choice. Yeah, and uh, what happens mm -hmm. in both cases, CDK uh, is more or less like Java to JSON binding. So creating with Java API all the constructs. Some are prepared, some not. This is mm -hmm. type safe. So you have a Maven dependency on on uh, AWS CDK, which is mm -hmm. very well maintained. So uh, yes. you get an update every two weeks, at least, I would say. And then if you run it, you get a JSON. And the JSON is the the, uh, the declarative state, how it should be. It's submitted to AWS, and uh, AWS does something behind the scenes. And the great story is, why I'm telling this, because I get the questions all the time. And uh, the great story is the state is stored on AWS. So the stack is on AWS. This yeah. is not true for the, for the other open source solutions, so we get lots of trouble with it. But if you do it this way, you're just submitting, you know, and this state is reconciled in so-called stack. This is, you know, the uh, and the stacks. This is why I usually have multiple stacks because mm -hmm. one stack is the networking, the other one can be the persistence, which uh, mm -hmm. depending how often it, ch the, the, it changes, you know, the change frequency for me is like yes. one of the decision points. The, uh, why I'm, where I'm going with it, because the SAM, that's almost the same, but uh, they have kind of macros or which are, they can do with one command, they can generate more cloud formation. But at the end of the day, it's also CloudFormation and, and Stack, right? Yes. Sam. Yeah, yeah Sam is just a CloudFormation transform in the end. So it's just a simplified way mm -hmm. to write CloudFormation code uh, mm -hmm. or CloudFormation YAML, so to say. Mm -hmm. So if you have like, I have a presentation somewhere that shows the number of lines you would need in CloudFormation if you do API Gateway Lambda to DynamoDB. And it's like really huge, right? Because you need to permissions right from lambda to DynamoDB. so there are a lot of things that you need to define and sam basically abstracts that for you right to make the very same uh, um, architecture be available in like 20 to 30 lines instead of having like hundreds of lines so it's, re it's really just a simplified syntax that uh, yeah um, it's like a template transform that we that we call it i, I recorded um, a session on aws sam with java last uh, week on our uh, serverless LAN channel where I talk about Java with AWS SAM and mm -hmm. where we talk about this also in, in depth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, and um, you use a lot of Spring Boot. Uh, why not Corcus? <coughs> because uh, in, in my projects is, um, or why, uh, why not? I can imagine why, because you know Spring Boot from your projects. Mm -hmm. But uh, I get lots of requests regarding Corcus and it starts incredible fast and Micronode as well. So there's huge mm -hmm. interest there as well. Are you planning to do something there or is this more, you know, Mark's 
area? Um, no, so I'm not I'm not specifically tied to um, a framework, so to say. I used the, we used that very first example because we saw a lot of our customers also leveraging Spring Boot, and it's like a very popular framework, and a, a lot of people have Spring. That we thought we we start with this kind of example um, um, to show. Right, mm -hmm. so that's why we leveraged for the workshop for the first module. We leveraged um, the Spring, for example. But all the other modules, if you check, they actually using plain Java. So there's not exactly. even mm -hmm. there's not even a framework involved at all because that's I usually when I write Lambda function, I actually don't use a framework at all. It yeah. depends um, really on your on your use case. Um, so. Uh, and yeah, I also did a couple of things with uh, Quarkus. There were also a recent development of a Quarkus module for the for the workshop. I'm happy to share that as well. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it really depends uh, on your preferences and what's the stack you are used to. And yeah, sometimes you don't even need a framework at all. Yeah. yeah I think um, maybe we this. discuss this a bit because mm -hmm. I think you need a framework a little bit more if you do mm -hmm. the synchronous Lambda behind HTTP API gateway. Because uh, this is also a common misunderstanding. Uh, because what you can do then is, what a framework does for me, Quarkus, for instance, and this is also widely misunderstood. Um, uh, what you get is one gen. Uh, so Quarkus registers one generic Lambda function handler. This is mm -hmm. Quarkus, not not yours. This so, and uh, and what Quarkus does then, it Quarkus gets invoked by AWS runtime, and Quarkus gets an HTTP event, reads you know all the data and then invokes your JAXRS endpoint. So as common misunderstanding, you can have hundreds of endpoints. It doesn't matter. Yes. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you say yes, but in projects, they, they believe <laughs> you have to have no ship 100 lambdas to have 100 endpoints. So this is yeah. why I'm repeating this here. Mm -hmm. And um, so for that, I need a framework for the dispatching. Otherwise, I will have to implement a switch case, which we did you know at the beginning of Java with the servlet. So this will be terrible code. If you have a framework, the dispatching, the mapping of the HTTP, the routing, basically, you know, the, the, this mapping of the HTTP data encoded in the event to the to invocation of the JAXORS endpoints happens in the framework. And if you have already framework, you get the nice stuff like uh, dependency injection, add inject, and you can use your complete microprofile, in my case, uh, mm -hmm. stack. Where I'm not using Quarkus at all, plain Pojo, are lambdas uh, how they should be, event-driven architectures if they react to to sources like SNS, SQS, Kinesis, uh, EventBridge, huge. I use EventBridge a lot. This is really great with Java. And then what I do, I even use the very basic version of Lambda where I get the um, the stream, input stream, mm -hmm. and then immediately use my JSONB, you know, to decode the stream <coughs> in, into JSON object in mm -hmm. one one method later, I have a nice interface with my business object, and uh, and I don't need. And the only difference is I don't use dependency injection. Mm -hmm. I just use my old no Java programming with new, and it works great. Yes. And this works great because these asynchronous lambdas are a little bit simpler because they understand exactly one type of event usually, and you don't need you know huge framework to do it. So in my case, either I use Quarkus for HTTP, and it starts really fast, it's highly optimized, or I use nothing, so nothing at all mm -hmm. is just Pojo. Yeah, you you touched on two uh, interesting points here. So the one, the this layer that you mentioned, right, that does the mapping from the H HTTP 
API gateway event to an actual internal mm -hmm. request that the framework understands. That's like also a common uh, pitfall, right? That or that's something that we always explain when we're going like to the conferences, also in the workshop. That it's not like your Lambda sits on port 80 and just waits for an HTTP request, right? But you receive a JSON payload, mm -hmm. and this obviously Spring does not under like Spring Boot, for example, does not understand by default. So mm -hmm. and so Quarkus has their own implementation. This is really great. So this is really awesome that you have this built-in into the framework and for you as a developer right you have your micro profile application you can do dev development locally everything yeah. is the same and it comes from the framework um, micronaut does that as well they also have um, a, a similar implementation that does that exactly. and they are leveraging at least from the late the, the later version i think it was free something there they used we have an open source project called aws serverless java container yeah. which does exactly that and you can use that for spring as well so what it does it acts as a servlet container, right? It takes the, the API gateway request object and then transforms it internally. So Quarkus has their own as far as, as I saw. I also went through the source code recently and um, um, Micronode has that. And for Spring, you can use that open source project to do this translation between the API gateway uh, requests. The, uh, the, mm -hmm. the GitHub project you are mentioning, this is mm -hmm. AWS open source, um, AWS serverless containers. The interesting part is it yeah. also comes with uh, Jersey implementation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's interesting, Jersey is Glassfish, Hedidon, and all the other servers. So actually, you mm -hmm. could integrate for free other runtimes as well. So I'm, yes. I just you know, I don't understand it at all why, you know, the Hedidon developers are still waiting, because I think if I would have a little bit more time, it will weekend projects to integrate something, you know, as a prototypical uh, thing. But um, actually, yeah. what, I, what I guess, uh, Quarkus get inspired by this project. Everyone gets inspired by the project. Mm -hmm. So AWS that did it first, and then you have to get the idea. You know, It is not obvious that you can do such a thing. It yes. is simple, but at, you have to get the mm -hmm. idea first. And if you see, uh, of course, how it should be. True. And, True. and wh why I like Quarkus? Because um, the problem, if you think about this, is if the JSON object arrives and uh, Quarkus uh, reads the JSON object, Quarkus has to invoke efficiently, you know, the JAXRS endpoints. Mm -hmm. And because of this is an extension, Quarkus eliminates reflection. So it is fast. And, mm -hmm. and this, is, this is actually the interesting part. And now it comes in Lambda, um, if, you, if, you, if you would like to have more CPU, you have to buy it with RAM. So and if you um, so if you uh, so my finding is around one one and a half gig. Uh, it 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 works it works the fastest, and you pay. Uh, this is very cost effective. Um, so I would say one point seven gig one gig, you get one CPU. But if I get to the know one gig of RAM on Quarkus is way too much. So we can do whatever we like. This is like incredible amount of memory actually for Quarkus. The implication is we don't have to run Graal VM with Quarkus. So all my lambdas are running on stock Coretto, which is great. Mm -hmm. Our pipeline is faster. We don't have to do the Graal VM transformation process. Mm -hmm. And if the, if the function remains hot, the cool story is every subsequent invocation gets faster because it gets optimized by Coretto. And we yes. actually actively save money because Graal VM optimizes only once at the beginning. Yeah. And, and uh, this is why uh, it's, the Quarkus is really extremely way suited uh, for uh, for serverless and of course micronode the same story mm -hmm. micronode optimizes yeah. differently quarkus uses extensions and micronode uses uses yeah. uh, compiler processors this is i think i always confuse the name i think it's called the, the right name is compiler processor what happens it, it it generates the code at compile time by uh, standard mm -hmm. java se plugins and quarkus uses extensions but the outcome is very very similar and this makes it so interesting because the uh, 
developers are assuming that you need GraalVM to have efficient Lambda. And I have to say, in all my productions projects, we never use actually GraalVM mm-hmm. so far because you could save money with Quarkus without GraalVM and you don't have you know, to wait until uh, the... the, the, the um, how to call it, the native GraalVM compilation, which can take, you know, two, three minutes if the yes. project, is, mm-hmm. project is larger. Yeah, I think the, I mean, the performance topic is obviously a, a very big topic in the, in the serverless space. That's also why the, the workshop that I mentioned really focuses on performance optimizations. And we have a couple of options here. And I mean, what it boils down to is what is really your P99 or P99.9 really requirement, right? Because a lot of people, they are developing the Java, just plain Java Lambda function. They spin it up and they said, okay, that takes three seconds. Wow, that's too slow, right, for example. But yeah, I mean, as you said, once this Lambda is warm, right? I mean, it can it can handle um, the request much faster, right? There's a couple of milliseconds, so similar to when, what you experience in a container. So you really need to understand this cold start concept. And um, I mean, with Snapstart also, obviously things changed a lot in the optimization space because a lot of things that you optimize to get like another second and another second basically um, got solved with, um, with Snapstart. So I'm not sure if you, I think you probably discussed Snapstart here already, but yeah, essentially what it does, it initializes your function already during deploy time and it creates a snapshot of it. Um, so it calls all the constructors, everything um, in the beginning, then takes a snapshot of the whole micro VM. And when the first request comes, it doesn't need to initialize everything again. It doesn't need to download your code, do some initialization, but it just restores the snapshot, right? And I mean, that obviously also for um, frameworks that come with a bit of overhead, even make them much more much more faster. Yeah, and so, uh, what I wanted just to, um, to add mm-hmm. to this is... Um, to the listeners, what I really appreciate this uh, snapshot from AWS is based on crack, and I, this is a coordinate restore at no a coordinate restore at checkpoint. checkpoint. I think a checkpoint. I always w- wanted to say yeah. coordinated resource at checkpoint, yeah. but this is restore, and this is an open JDK um, functionality where it ca- is able to freeze an uh, an JVM version in, uh, on disk and start faster. And the incredible uh, work from from AWS is that w- what you did is you basically distributing you know the the binary image in in availability zone and encrypting this and reconstructing this so this is really fast. But uh, I would say Snapstart makes GraalVM even less interesting because uh, with uh, Snapstart you get uh, I would say the the uh, the uh, startup time is, is half as as it was before. And this is no implication at uh, at the running uh, running application. And uh, what's what's funny is if you try it, you have to look to CloudWatch and see what happens because I think your lambda started four times or something. You know, they started optimized and started, and then and then it's done. Yeah, because they create a snapshot essentially per availability zone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually why why you see multiple initializations. I but didn't do that. This is this yeah. is interesting. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, um, what you what you what you need to uh, so. We, we leverage the crack project by that we use the crack library to implement the hooks mm-hmm. to um, coordinate the, the actual process. So before a snapshot is taken, right, um, we, you could implement some kind of logic, for example, to shut down some connections that you don't want to have in a snapshot. And even after you restore, then you can implement some code. And there we leverage this crack library, so to say. But the snapshotting technology actually is based on the micro VM, on the fire level, uh, firecracker 
level, so to say. Right? Oh, so that's interesting. Bit, so it's bit, even it's deeper. Different. So it's 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 snapshots of the whole micro VM, right? Rather than um, it's uh, specific. That's even better the... than I thought. So what I thought mm. only the JVM is now uh, serialized, but it's the entire yeah, stack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is. But this is even even mm. even more interesting. What I did mm. knew, I always ask myself why does it you know several times and uh, it does it once per availability zone. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so it creates multiple snapshots. So you see that in the beginning, right? It's quite clear yeah. in the CloudWatch logs that you have multiple lines, and um, yeah, that's that's why they that's why they do that. Um, the thing with uh, GraalVM here still, and I mean, you had an in interesting point on that. But the thing with GraalVM is, of course. Um, the, still the memory consumption, right? Because um, GraalVM first addresses, of course, the fast startup, right? And um, But also the memory consumption, right? So you can get the memory consumption um, way more down, right, than a traditional JVM application. But what you mentioned is also, but you need this amount of RAM anyway because you need the CPU, right? Exactly. Then for, for this specific project, it might not make sense. But if you really want to get down on a memory where CPU is not that critical, you can go with CalVM, you can reduce the memory consumption quite a, quite a lot, right? Because even if you, you go on Fargate, you cannot have a lot of CPUs with no memory. You always you have to add to memory, and if you have like uh, you no know, one CPU or two CPU, I forgot to you know the table. But if you would like to have two core uh, container, you have to uh, buy enough memory, and with that me memory, Corpus is perfectly happy, you know, without GraalVM. What I can mm -hmm. think about is if you have uh, a function, an asynchronous function without a framework, yeah. and it uh, then you know the the performance doesn't make. Oh, but, but the problem is there is the how it's called the power project on GitHub where you can measure power tools? Yeah, no, 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 power no. tuning. Power, power tuning. tuning, power tuning. Where where they're running your lambdas with different settings and it turn out the one CPU is the most co cost effective for Java. So I would say even I would assume even an asynchronous lambda would run the best with a little bit more memory. Uh, to be cost effective, so but uh, maybe an EC2 machine, right? So if you have an EC2 machine, a workload in Java, then GraalVM makes absolute sense, I would say. Yeah, um, I mean one one thing that that just come to mind from the, uh, the Snapstart is not only from a from a performance perspective, right? Because you you can actually do so, can do some quite cool things, and we also have a module in the workshop that shows that. Mm -hmm. Because what it allows you to do, so imagine you have like a function that downloads some kind of data in the uh, beginning, like some kind of validation file mm -hmm. from S3 that it later then on the handler does some calculations. What you can do now is you can actually download that file and include it in the snapshot, right? So you do not actually right. on first uh, startup on the first handler, um, you need to retrieve something from S3. It's already in the snapshot, right? So you can really um, cache some data in there. I mean, obviously, there is a caveat. If that data gets stale, you would need to create a new snapshot, right? So if that's outdated at some point, you would need to re-trigger uh, the pipeline to essentially build a new snapshot because the, the data might be outdated in there. But this is fine. Um, mm -hmm. What we did back then is, you know, with microprofiling application servers, we did in post-construct. So it started in post-construct. We went to the database. This was on startup. Mm -hmm. So we had so like startup annotations. We still have it on microprofile. And uh, for that, uh, this is even better because it does it once and mm -hmm. uh, never again. You're, you're right. Uh, you have to, to, to redeploy it, but we can change environment entry, for instance, you know, yes. with, and then and will happen automatically. But um, we could actually use it in my current project. So uh, we're just waiting mm -hmm. uh, for Java 17 to have it because right now mm -hmm. I'm running Java 11 with mm -hmm. Java 17 layer from uh, for Mark sales. So yeah. it was great. So we started a project one year ago. 
And mm-hmm. we get Java 17 or Lambda from beginning with the hope Java 17 will come soon. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, we're waiting and waiting and nothing happens. Yeah, and it's good that you call it out because um, actually I can announce here today that we're currently in the process of deploying the Java 17 version for Lambda. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not sure when we're exactly publishing this year, but by that time it should be um, available already. So we will announce it um, um, as soon as it's as it's ready. So the waiting should be um, finally be over, and you can leverage new Java 17 then also for your for your lambdas. And you know that um, whether Java 17 will support Snapstart? Uh, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the best news ever. So I should yeah. stop the podcast and I should already, you know, start migrating right now. Yeah, as soon as we got the announcement, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Diana, uh, mm-hmm. any other features with Java 17 or is it just, you know, Java 17, I mean, mm-hmm. performance-wise um, or how, how it looks like? Is it like very comparable with Java 11 or? Um, yeah, I think you need to do your own benchmarks for your specific applications there. Um, I think in the announcement post, we'll include some options that um, might be there for by default now, but this is something we will, we will see at, at release, how it, um, how it will be implemented. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really looking much forward also now on the Java 17 language features that we can um, yeah. finally use, right? Thinking of um, records or yeah. sealed classes, for example, things like that. So mm-hmm. that would be, would be great. I mean, it has been highly asked and um, yeah. Finally, we are almost there. So, so. Yeah, that is now the mm-hmm. message to uh, to Jeff Bezos, right? So we need uh, as soon as possible Java support, right? So <laughs> this is a, this was it took way too long with Java 11. It was actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we took the feedback seriously and we are constantly improving there. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, feedback seriously. You know, if you have Java 11 and there's next LTS, it has to be immediately there. You know, this is uh, yeah. so. Uh, Jeff Bezos, please give Max more resources. You know, to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Max, and mm-hmm. are you still mm-hmm. coding Java, or you are more? Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. are you, oh, are you also involved? Let's say in the AWS Lambda runtime or or snaps, uh, mm-hmm. or you are just building the examples, or just I mean, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. because yeah. yeah. Yeah, how, I'm not, how you know you know the internal stuff how Snapstart works uh, for instance yeah, yeah. so I'm I, I'm not in SDE so I'm not involved in like the the actual service development mm-hmm. but since I'm uh, specialized on the technologies we also exchange obviously with the service team here and there and we talk to the PMs and we do some internal testing then obviously and there I get a lot of um, hands-on right and um, try to combine that then in this reusable resources for the field so mm-hmm. this, as the workshops and blog posts and stuff like that so I try to code as much as I can mm-hmm. uh, still and I do it when I do it I do it in uh, a Java I used a lot of Kotlin before in my recent jobs um, but nowadays um, I, I, I do plain Java um, now for the Lambda development as well this is actually what I am doing, I'm great that I found someone who who know who who has a similar mindset. Because if you have Java 17, it is really mm-hmm. incredible what's there. Of course, you know, languages on top of JVM will be all mm-hmm. always more capable. But uh, for instance, um, in my eyes, I, language like Kotlin, Scala, whatever, it should mm-hmm. be twice as good as Java. You know. To, to, mm-hmm. to, to make an impact. If this is just a little bit, some features I'm not interested. And stuff like uh, what I don't at all uh, like at all, for instance, if you have a Maven with Java and you would mm-hmm. like to run Kotlin, you need also the Kotlin dependencies, in your, of course, in your thing to make it work. 
-hmm. And if you I would use it on Lambda, it would uh, complicate things a bit, right? You have to think always about this uh, this uh, dependency. And um, yeah, this is what also I'm just happy with Java. And um, if I yeah. would not do Java, I would do probably Rust, I would say, because mm -hmm. it's the most interesting language, which is not Java right now, because it comes with strange concepts. And why not to, to learn something completely different, right? So this mm -hmm. is back then I wanted to, to learn more, you know, Ruby. I never managed because I got so many Java projects, but this was always my idea. If, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Java will die, I will not do JRuby. I will just take a look at the real Ruby, real Python, no Jython. Why not to learn the real thing, right? Yeah. What um, I mean, there mm -hmm. are a few things still that I miss from my um, Kotlin days here and there. Yeah. But I mean, you. We, what we what are you missing? In... I'm interested. So, what you're really missing in Java? I mean, obviously now <laughs> with Java 17, there are a lot of things that I missed are now finally there, right? Like uh, records, uh, which is like. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can recompare, but the data classes, mm -hmm. right, in Kotlin, and then also sealed classes I used quite um, a lot. For what on Kotlin? For what use the sealed classes? Sealed classes, I used it for um, simple response error handling. I really liked that a lot. So if you think about it, you have like a service response class, and it can either be a success or it can contain an error. Mm -hmm. And then I have basically two implementations, a success, which contains the result, or an error with the error message and something on it. And then in the controller, for example, I can do just do a switch case right on the response, and I can say if it is... Um, an error, I throw a 400-something okay. error. If it's success, I return response body, something like that. So I really liked it for this error handling kind of kind of setup. And um, yeah, so what I, what I miss is um, maybe some of the convenience methods. So I, I haven't really dove deep a lot into the um, record development recently, but I remember that I used quite a lot the also the copy. There was a convenience method on data classes so that you can say dot copy and then you can change a variable and you got a new instance of this class with that new variable. So in Not case available to, in records right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So this is something that I really miss because I use that quite, quite, um, quite a lot. And um, yeah, I think that was yeah, one, one feature. And I think so data classes used to work with um, like JPA and Hibernate, right? Mm -hmm. um, but records don't, uh, yes. as far as I as I got right. And those, and then I'm basically the records. Then I use for DTOs or some POJOs that I get from the request. But I cannot leverage them for an entity that I create most of the time, which is for like a database. The funny thing right? is, um, I didn't use JPA for two years. I think <laughs> I really like it because I'm really a Java fanboy. And the reason mm -hmm. being is because of you know clouds. Uh, if you are in the cloud, uh, what's changed maybe, right? So if you are on-premise, you everything is serverless, really. i tell you why. Uh, uh, there is a department, and this department runs the database for you. You don't True. care, you know? True. You just uh, you get the database, you get the connection, and how, how many CPUs or whatever, it doesn't cost you anything, you just use it. Then you have another department who cares about my application servers. So I created my war, copied it over, and I was done. This was serverless. I was never interested in the particular implementation of the application servers. Now I go to the cloud, you know, and to the nasty clouds, and, and now I have to do everything by myself. Mm -hmm. So and now the option is whether I will set up Postgres by myself with backup, maintenance windows, backup windows, and, you know, uh, the, uh, the active passive, or I pick DynamoDB or S3. And mm -hmm. uh, and what happens right now, i just running on S3 and DynamoDB with Java. And then if you have this first, it is more cost-effective because S3 yes. is incredibly cheap and uh, DynamoDB depends on your usage. But uh, 
and S3 has a, 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 the latency is not as great, and Dynamo has low latency, but yeah, it's not not S3. But um, but how do you do that then? For uh, I mean, it's not a, like DynamoDB is not like a drop-in replacement, right? For like a traditional relation. Yeah, that's what I wanted to tell you. Yeah, so uh, so. This, uh, this DynamoDB to be efficient requires complete different design. It's called single table design. Yes. So you have to rethink anyway. And if I rethink it, um, you know, JPA makes less sense. There there are the uh, the uh, document classes. I think it looks almost like JPA with DynamoDB. Mm. Mm. So if you use this. So different. We never use that because um, you have to. I don't know. You have to think more what you are doing, and and then if you just store JSON or create you know a small abstraction in Java, you are basically done. And mm-hmm. uh, and S three is even simpler because uh, S three for us is a hash map. So we have you know yes. a map and uh, and uh, there is a, a DAO like class, and we are done. So mm-hmm. I would say the change is this is mostly driven by economics, and uh, I don't like to spend one week to set up Postgres, mm-hmm. and and care about that, and you know snapshots, backups, and <coughs> restores, and uh, so I would say serverless for me as a Java developer means if I go to the cloud, I would like to improve my situation, and to improve my situation, I should be able to give a developer an account, and create a complete environment which is identical to production. This is my you know, requirement to the cloud because anything else I had already on-premise. And to achieve that means I only can use managed services. I mean, you know, Kinesis, SNS, SQS, EventBridge. Uh, if you, as long as you do with, uh, go this way, the cool story is I can provision with CDK everything. I, have, I can have you know, a complete environment with CDK. Mm-hmm. But if I use Postgres or Kafka or something different, I have the problem... I cannot create topic with CDK. I cannot create a Postgres table with CDK. There is a gap, and uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, cost. It's also cost effective, you know, to use to manage service to a point. Yeah. It really depends, you know, about the traffic. But um, this is what I'm doing right now, and and this is like you know, extreme serverless with Java, and I can tell mm-hmm. you with CDK it works 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 really well. Yeah, I mean, two two points on this. So the first one, obviously, is what what you what what's really great about this, um, for example, DynamoDB use case is that you have the SDK, right, and you can also rely on IAM to do like certain permission, yeah, handling, exactly. right, which you do not have like out of the box for a plain JDBC connection. Yeah, for plain JDBC, mm-hmm. Max, what mm-hmm. you will have to do is you have to install and plugin to to Postgres, mm-hmm. use RDS proxy, and and create on the other side, you know, like the the, the Postgres mm-hmm. you knows the user. So you have to do some work. It is not, I would say. It is not hard. You, you have to do some plumbing. And this is, for yeah. me, not cloud-native. Cloud-native means give me the API, I provision mm-hmm. the table, second later, I have the table with all the permissions. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the second one, obviously, I, I saw you talk around the persistence in serverless applications, I think. And there you also mentioned two interesting points. The first one was, of course, connection pooling is now yeah. a lot different on Lambda yeah. because you have this, just a single invocation. So you don't, I think the default connection pool in Spring is like Hakari uh, connection pool that starts 10 connections by yeah. default. And if you create 100 Lambda, 100 lambdas with 10 connections to the database it will be quickly overwhelmed so you need to be careful with the connection handling and the second thing you also mentioned back then i mean in an ideal world right eventually we would have maybe also api based access for relational databases in aurora serverless v1 we had the data api Mm -hmm. um, which then allows you to leverage also the iem mechanism because then the access will be api based right so um, yeah, I think there's interesting developments around there. 
but um, so there's yeah, but there's not not available in v2 yet I no, think. no no but uh maybe to the listeners because it is obvious but no one thinks about that so uh, for me cloud native mm-hmm. means everything is available via the same http api aws one right so if you go postgres route then mm-hmm. i have to use jdbc socket which goes, you know, outside, I would say it is in AWS network, but AWS does nothing about the traffic there. So if I go, go Kafka, the same. But if I send an Kinesis, SNS or SQS message, I'm using the AWS SDK and I'm issuing behind the scenes an HTTP request. And because mm-hmm. it is an HTTP request, AWS has the possibility to check the IAM roles or not possibility, they do it, right? Yes. They, you have to do it. So it means... If you're using HTTP, the official SDK from AWS, everything is secured with IAM. Yes. If, mm-hmm. if you're leaving this path and you're going, you know, with JDBC, Kafka, or whatever other open source tool you are using, AWS cannot, you know, look into your binary protocol and do some IAM checks. Yeah. And, and, and this is, a, but this is a big deal in my project, security and, uh, mm-hmm. and also the provisioning. And the, the next one is, of course, table. Mm-hmm. You cannot just create a you know, table with CDK in, in Postgres. Yeah, but you could leverage things like Flyway, for example, right? That your application Plumbing. Does it. I would like yeah. to focus on my business, what I did. You know, this is, you can mm-hmm. do this. I don't say it's not possible. Yeah. But the question is, if I go to the cloud, I would like to improve my situation. Mm-hmm. And what is the improve- improvement? You know, I just focus fully on business and, and, and le- let's cloud do the thing, right? So this mm-hmm. is why I don't get lift and shift uh, in, in, in for, for, for just for fun, you know? If you have a use case, just do it. But uh, it is not like cloud native, you know, I, my, mm-hmm. I was in a, in a workshop, my client, you know, and they say, okay, cloud native, uh, do we need Kubernetes for cloud native? I say, why? It runs on your, on your machine. If you run it on the cloud, there is no difference. If, you have to improve, you know, the situ- situation. And I think the next logic- logical step is, or the next is already there, is, is serverless because you f- fully focus, you know, on, on your stuff and not on the plumbing. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. I mean, if you also think about the integration between the components, right? You talked about, for example, this async invoke, for example, or how you can integrate a Lambda function with SQS, right? Mm-hmm. Think about if you were initially re- reading something from a queue from a container kind of environment, right? You need to have like the client that actually does the polling and exactly. all those kind of things. And here I just say Lambda do SQS and I have automatic polling, retries, DLQs, everything out of the box. So it saves me um, a huge effort from a development perspective. So when I really got to um, Lambda at the first time, for me, it was, for me personally, it was seeing also Kubernetes and everything before. For me personally, it was, okay, this is really how I as a developer uh, want to develop applications, right? For me, that was like, okay, this is the route, this is the future, at least for me. And um, that's why I'm uh, really passionate uh, about this about this topic. And um, yeah, hopefully we can spread the word even more, uh, more and share like best practices. And um, yeah. Yeah, the, the best practice was, you know, if you go to the cloud, use the cloud, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and uh, maybe also not obvious, right? I think uh, the, uh-huh. the last thing is in serverless, if you do security in Java e-service, Quarkus, whatever, outside the cloud, what usually happens, you know, the open ID connect flow is implemented inside the application because you hit the Quarkus, it goes, you know, to somewhere, keycloak and, and, and gets, you know, the mm-hmm. token back. And, and in the cloud, you will you can do this, but uh, what you should do is instead, you know, this is the job of API gateway or load balancer, for mm-hmm. instance, to do the flow. So what it means is um, you don't have to configure your, your application. You just get, you know, the valid token and do, do something with it. And there exactly. are small things where you have to, you know, rethink how it works. 
because otherwise uh, you're paying for the cloud and they are not using the features. So this is the worst possible outcome, actually. You you are picking, you know, your uh, legacy application going to the cloud and, and uh, there is absolutely no improvement. It, I would say, you know, but, the, but you should improve the situation and make it worse. So this is wh why I think this is the only way to go. Otherwise, uh, there are other reasons why you go to the cloud, but uh, not, you know, like, um, yeah, using the cloud. Great. Great. So um, interesting that you are working similar area. I think we will talk, yeah. you know, one hour about Sam, but uh, it was more <laughs> more interesting than this. Great. And uh, yeah, we what? Should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Uh, where people can find you on the internet, and um, we will add all you know your workshops to the show notes. But you mm -hmm. can maybe mention them right now. You know the the uh, your Twitter account, your AWS mm -hmm. work, or whatever you like to mention. Yeah, yeah. So on on Twitter, uh, I am called Mesh Network. Um, I, I just started there because Mark basically said you I need to do more on Twitter, and he wants to ping me. Is, is Mark your boss? <laughs> no, no, no. We're just working closely together okay. on the Java topics, and um, he said you, you should do more on Twitter. So I just started out there. So yeah, you can follow me there. We will post an interesting updates for uh, Java. You can also find me um, on LinkedIn, and yeah, we will include here the Java resources on the show notes. But if you look for Java on AWS Lambda Workshop, a simple search, then you will definitely find that. Mm -hmm. yeah, Java on AWS workshop. Okay, and everyone has to follow Max now to get to get more followers than Mark. <laughs> that will be hard, but <laughs> okay. Awesome. Greetings to Mark and thank you. Yeah. It was nice, thank nice you, conversation. Adam. Very nice. Thanks a lot.